0: Let's pray. God, I am just so thankful for the truth of your gospel. And that even when we were wandering from the fold of God, even, even though even though we have gone so far from you, turned so far away from the things that you call us to, the, the standard of holiness that you require that you've continued to pursue us, you've continued to chase after us, and God, I just pray now that as as we study your word, as we begin a whole new series going forward, that God, you would just fill us with a sense of joy and a sense of seriousness about your gospel that the message that you have given us would be the one message that matters, the one thing above all else that we hold tight to and we don't shake on it. God, I pray that you would give me the right words to speak, that you would just fill this place with your Holy Spirit, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Just deliver to us the message that you would desire to use to shape us and change us and mold us this morning. God, we thank you that we can speak the truth of this gospel because of the work of your Son Jesus. That's in His name that we pray. Amen. All right. So, I I, I made a point about when we first, uh, the last couple of series we've been doing a bit more topical, which has been kind of weird for us. We don't usually do a whole lot of topical series, um, but just. For the way things worked out, I think that, that that God had a couple of really specific topics He wanted us to talk about for the last several months, and and it's been fun. I I, I absolutely I don't know I don't know what y'all's opinion was about the last series, and it's not it's not a reflection of me, but I just really enjoyed the study that we just got com- done coming out of this canceled series. It was so much fun, but it feels. Um, It feels like home coming back to an expository series, meaning like we're just going to pick a book of the Bible, and we're just going to go through the whole thing, and we're going to take our time. I don't know how long exactly it's going to be. I would imagine it's going to probably be two or three months, probably a little bit longer. We'll see. It just depends on on how into the weeds we end up getting on this thing. So if you want to go ahead and start turning to the book of Galatians um, we're going to go through uh, the whole book of Galatians, not today, uh, but we are going to go through the whole book of Galatians. We're going to try to understand the point behind what God was saying in here, and, and there's going to be a key theme, and I'm going to get to it in just a second. So before you before you put that up there, I, getting ready, he's like he's ready to push the button. Don't push it yet. Um, you've heard me say this before. Like I absolutely love studying church history. Um, I that like there are very few things that I get super theology nerdy about. But I could sit there and talk about the finer points of different points throughout church history for hours on end. I I love studying church history because I because again, I love knowing where it is that the church has come from. Like what what are the things that we've been wrestling with studying uh, for so long, what are the things that we have struggled with? What are the, what are the doctrines or the concepts or, or the debates that people have had throughout church history? Because, because as the church has weathered these different points in history, where we're trying to take this book and understand exactly what it is God wants us to do with the message that is in it. We've learned so much about how we can how we can get wrong, get it wrong, or or just like learning from some of those who have been in this book and lost sight of the the kind of the center point of what God was trying to say. It leads to all sorts of problems, all sorts of pain, all sorts of sin, and so uh, it's so fun for me. Fun for me. Enjoyable. Uh, enlightening, helpful to really go back and just look and see what people were struggling through at different points in church history. And about 500 years ago, 500 years ago, the church had gotten to this point, uh, and this was in 1517, so that's going to be on the test. So make sure you remember that. 1517. Uh, the church had kind of gotten to this point where uh, it had gotten so far away from the heart of the gospel and added so many different things into what it means to be saved, what it takes to be saved, what it takes to find favor with God, to be appeased, to appease God and and be part of the body of Christ. We'd added so many layers on top of the, the heart of what Jesus had told us it took to be saved. And this had happened over the course of thousands of years, because you have to think, I mean, we're reading through Acts on Sunday nights, we've been reading through that for the last several months and one of the things that you continue to see is just this explosive growth of the church, but at the same time, the church is still kind of the social minority. They weren't, they weren't lo- well-loved. They weren't accepted. They weren't the, the norm. In fact, much of, much of Rome and the people in charge around the time really did not like the church and were fighting back against it. You know, Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians that we're getting ready to study, was one of the, 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 the main leaders in the fight against the church prior to being saved. And we're going to talk about the way that happened for him throughout this study. But, but the church was, was kind of the underdog until this one point, um, about a hundred some years after Jesus on earth, that the, the emperor of Rome named Constantine got saved. And when Constantine became saved, Constantine said, you know what? Christianity is now the official religion of the whole empire. Everybody is going to be Christian. And it became the socially accepted legally required religion for the people and you may be thinking oh that sounds like an amazing thing that sounds like that would be so good if only if only society right now would mandate that everybody follow jesus and what we're gonna see is that's not what that's not what saves us that's not what makes a difference but you'd think that, that would be a good thing but in fact instead that began this, this long development of time where, where we entered into this thing that we now look back on and call the Dark Ages throughout our history because, because the church got so far off and started adding all these layers of action that had to be taken in order to find favor with God that we got completely away from the heart of the gospel. All the way up into the point where in 1517 there was, there was a, a monk in the Catholic Church named Martin Luther. And Martin Luther was was interacting with the church, and what the church had begun to do was say, hey, your Aunt Ruth died. Your Aunt, your Uncle Tom died. Your, 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 your relative has died, and they're probably going to be trapped in purgatory for a very long time. Now, if you want to get your aunt, your uncle, your grandma, your, your parents... Your sibling whoever whoever your your relative is if you want to get them out of purgatory and get them into heaven faster you can do that all you have to do is buy this indulgence buy this thing if you pay the church this money then then that will appease God on behalf of your relative and God will let them into heaven and the more Luther started going back to scripture which is key the more he started actually reading the Bible He started saying, and specifically what he found in the book of Galatians, is that that there was this struggle against adding things on top of the truth of the gospel, the heart of the gospel. And Luther said, guys, we're missing the point. We've added so many things now that that our gospel has stopped being the gospel altogether. We've added so much on top of it that now we aren't saving anybody. In fact, we're just making it harder and harder for them to find the truth of what God requires for us to be in. And, and so and so, it came to this point where he wrote down these 95 theses, these 95 points about things that needed to change and how we needed to get away from the, the tradition that the church had added on top of the gospel and and the authority that had been given to church leadership all the way up to the pope. To say these people don't speak for God in the way that we've given them the credit and the power to speak for God. Instead, instead, and, he, and instead, we need to be going back to the heart of the gospel. And he took these 95 theses, and it was on October 31st, because a good a good Calvinist will tell you that that's Reformation Day, not Halloween. Can I get an amen from Nick? There it is. Like I actually wanted the amen there. So October 31st, he nails these 95 theses on the door of the church and, and, and kind of sets, sets off this, this rediscovery of the heart of what is in this book. With the primary goal being to say, we have, we have taken this gospel and we have added so much to it that it is no longer the gospel that we once believed. The gospel that we are called to. And the key themes that we're going to look at in the book of Galatians directly parallel the things that the church was struggling through 500 years ago. And I would even imagine that they still parallel against some of the things that the church is struggling through today. So I think this is going to be a very timely study because here's the thing. And I'm going to now, now, are you ready? You ready? Get, get ready to push the button. Because here's our theme The Galatians, the theme is going to be the gospel plus nothing. There it is. I just, I'm really excited about the graphic. I like the way that turned out. That made me really happy. So we're going to leave that up there for a second. Everybody can see it? Good? Okay. The gospel plus nothing. And here's the thing. Uh, the good news about all this is that the gospel is a very simple message that we are sinful, we are separated from God, and God, through sending his son to make atonement for us, has made a way for us to be redeemed reconciled added back to the family of God that's the gospel now here's the problem when we say it in those simple terms in summarizing this way it still doesn't say much of what's going on kind of under the hood like what's how that's actually at work and that's where we tend to get off as the church historically when we're trying to have discussions about salvation because it doesn't, I said, all I said was, Jesus made a way for us to get back in. And people have said, well, let's talk about what that way is. And it's really easy to immediately start adding things back in. Well, that's, you have to say these words or pray this prayer or or be dunked in water in this way by this kind of person who's lived a life this way and has never been married. Or, you know, like, we, we start adding all of these different layers on top of what the gospel is. But really, ultimately, the, the key theme that Luther rediscovered studying the book of Galatians uh, is this idea of justification by faith. We are justified, we are added to the family of God by faith. Nothing else. That's the gospel. That Jesus made a way for us to be saved and that we aren't adding anything to that. We aren't contributing anything to that. So in Galatians, Paul is going to build this case that, that the authority of the word of God and the authority that he, by which he is delivering them the word of God is our means of salvation. Is the way that we are to be saved. The way that, that the message should be understood. And ultimately he's going to give us some, some application, the way that this is supposed to be lived out. What it's going to look like when that actually takes place inside of us, when we are actually saved. So I'm going to go ahead and give you an overview for where we're going the whole series. So chapters 1 and 2 really speak to the authority of the message that's being given. The authority, and that's speaking of two things. One, the authority of Scripture, the authority of the Word of God, and the authority that Paul has to be the one to tell us how to believe it and apply it. And you're going to see how important that is. Because Paul's going to be making all kinds of arguments about how his authority comes from the word of God as revealed to him by Jesus directly. That Paul is not regurgitating some message that was handed down from some other teacher. But he's saying, Jesus gave me these words for you. So we're going to talk for several weeks at the very beginning about just the authority by which this this word carries. The authority that, that we're being given here. In chapters 3 and 4, we're going to talk about what's accomplished, the accomplishment of what that gospel means. Mainly, we're going to focus on that key theme of justification by faith, what, it, what justification by faith means, how it is that, that Jesus saves us and adds us back into the family of God. And then chapters 5 and 6 are kind of the application, what faith lived out looks like, the ways that we're going to... Determine whether or not that we have been justified by faith and that we're in or we're out that sort of thing And if you did notice those all did start with a the authority the accomplishment the application Good just giving you a chance to notice All right that being said There's your there's your 22-minute introduction on where we're going in this series now if you're in Galatians Go ahead and turn to chapter 1. We're gonna actually read some of the book now And we're going to kind of start to see how Paul begins to build this case for the authority of the Word of God and the authority of himself to be the one to deliver it. So if you're in Galatians chapter 1, we're going to start with verses 1 through 5. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the church of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So from the very start, Paul begins to establish that he is all that he is, only because of the work of Jesus. He doesn't come and say, "Hi, I'm writing you a letter because I'm Paul. I've studied this my whole life and I have some new understanding. And we're going to and I'm going to and I'm going to apply all of this teaching based on my my really really smart mind and the amount of study that I've done throughout my entire life." No, he says, "I am Paul, and I'm writing to you because I am an apostle. I've been appointed to this position to give you this information, not because I have earned it, not because I have studied enough, not because I have done anything to earn God's favor beyond the fact that he saw fit to give me this role. Right? Paul, not from men nor through man. Like, nobody signed off on this. I didn't get ordained. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't I didn't study anything extra. Jesus has made me who I am. Now, that's important because he's giving him, he's saying, Jesus is the reason that you should listen to me. Like, I, you need to understand what it is that I'm saying and the authority that comes through these words. But it's not because I've earned it. It's because Jesus said so. He's, he's calling on Jesus to say, he's the one who will vouch for everything that I'm about to say. But in doing so, he's also establishing this truth that he's he's attained salvation. He's attained the gospel. The gospel's become alive. Again, not because of anything that he's done, but because Jesus has accomplished it in him. But through Jesus and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And I love that little aside. And all the brothers who are with me. Like he's making this point. And that's how it works for everybody. Like, salvation comes to all of us because Jesus has raised us from the dead, right? He who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who with me. I love that he kind of echoes that, Keith, that theme. If you've been with us for a while, you remember we memorized uh, parts of Ephesians chapter 2. And so much of Ephesians chapter 2 is this, this metaphor of death to life. You were dead in your trespasses, but you've been made alive by Jesus. That that difference between being not saved and now saved is the same chasm between dead and alive. And dead things aren't making themselves alive. And so he speaks to the glory of God and the joy of salvation. And And he's really making a big deal. I've been saved. All these guys around me, they also have been saved in the same way I have because Jesus saved us. i just i find myself thinking i mean this is just like the opening greeting of the book is this how we introduce ourselves to people is this how we talk Do, do when we walk up to somebody who's who's a fellow believer are we are we this excited about the fact hey how's it going jesus saved me and he saved all of these people and that's amazing are we that excited about our salvation that we talk about the joy of knowing Jesus just in everyday conversation, especially with other believers. I mean, yes, we, we can talk about it, but it's not going to resonate in the same way as if you walk up to a, a fellow believer and you're able to have this instant connection. We know Jesus. But I think it's so cool to see that Paul is, is expressing this kind of overwhelming sense of joy just at being saved as he's kind of introing his letter. And then he's hanging out with all these other saved people who have been saved in the same way. And he's essentially, it's, it's, it's like he's saying, hey, from the very beginning, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page on this. This whole Jesus salvation thing. Like, like I've been saved, you're saved, good. We're going to start from that foundation because what's going to follow gets a little bit harder to hear. <laughs> Let's start with, we know Jesus, and we're excited about that because In the next paragraph, I'm going to start to challenge you on the way you're actually living out that truth. The other thing that he kind of begins to establish, and you're going to kind of see in this next section, is yes, there is joy in salvation. Yes, we're excited that we know Jesus. Yes, we're excited that we're in the family of God. But with that carries some weight. There is seriousness to the gospel. There is seriousness to the way that we live out the life that Jesus has called us to. This isn't something that we flippantly throw around and say, I'm saved, and there it is. No, he's saying this is a thing that we must take seriously. If you're still in Galatians, I'm going to pick up in verse 6. So he's just, hey guys, how's it going? Good to see you. Then he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay. There's a lot of things in here. I think there are kind of three main things that we can pull out and hold on to from this. First of all, this is serious. This is a big deal. where, where Where we hinge on following the truth of the gospel versus losing sight of the heart of the gospel and following some other version of a gospel, which he says, not there is one. If we're following the gospel or we're not is a serious matter because that's what confirms to us whether or not we're in the body of Christ, whether or not we we get to be expecting that we get to experience Christ in the way that he's so joyful about. He's saying that the message doesn't change from what was originally given to us the message that Jesus has given to us, the message that the apostles have left us in this book, the message that the Holy Spirit inspired that we we as the church would carry with us until Jesus comes back, this message does not change. And if anybody should come and try to change these words, modify them, change the context, or give you something that applies this in a new way, there is no new way. This book does not change. This message does not change. And it is a serious offense if somebody is doing so. He says that I don't care if it's an angel from heaven that comes down or if I come back to you in a year and I say, you know what? Let's change a few things. If anybody, me, angel, anybody comes back and says, we're going to do this a little bit differently. We're going to add to this. Or we were wrong on this, we're going to modify. He's saying, no, this that I'm giving you right now, this is the definitive truth. And, he's the, and it's the definitive truth because Jesus has given me this message for you. He speaks back to his authority, and he's going to continue to build on his authority over the next few weeks as we continue to study this. But this is serious. This is life and death. If anybody tries to change it, he says, let them be accursed. He even doubles down and says that if anything is changed, anything is changed, the context, any of it, the one who changes it should be accursed. Now, I think it resonates more if we understand what he means by accursed. You hear the word accursed, and that's not a word that we use a lot. Um, It literally means damned. And I can say that because John Piper said it, too. And he's older than me. He even went so far as to say that essentially what Paul is saying is if anybody comes and changes any of this, they can go to hell. And I'm not trying to say this to just be, you know, unnecessarily edgy. Like, I want us to understand the gravity of what Paul is trying to say here. He's trying to say, if anybody is changing the gospel and drawing people away from the truth of Jesus, I'm done with them. Get rid of them. Don't listen to them. It's only going to confuse you. It's only going to pull you farther away from Christ. And in the end, it may kill you. Like This is is a bad thing. And it needs to be cut out of your life. It needs to be cut out of your church right now. Because if you're losing sight of where Jesus is trying to take you, then, then there's no hope of the gospel in you because you're not hoping in the gospel. You're hoping in some other gospel, which isn't even a gospel. There's no good news in a fake gospel because it pulls you away from the only source of hope that we have in Jesus. Even if it looks very similar, even if it feels good, even if it's close, he's saying if it's, if it's changed at all from what I'm going to be giving you, going forward from this truth, from this book, be done with it. Get away from it. It's dangerous. It's going to destroy you. I just want us to understand the kind of the seriousness with which Paul is speaking here he goes on to say in verse 10 now I'm I'm, am I seeking the approval of man or of God Because, because if you're if you're changing the message if you're changing what you're doing to appease man are you even trying to please God Am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And here's the idea. Seeking the approval of man, or mankind, or whoever it is that's delivering, whoever it is that you're feeling you must modify the gospel for to make them feel accommodated, leads to a weak gospel. And a weak gospel, like Paul has already said, is not the gospel at all. There are many ways that the church can fall into this. I just wrote down a few ideas. You may come up with more. There are some ways that we can, in, in, in attempting to, to win the approval of man, we can, we can lead ourselves into a weaker gospel. Pleasing the religious people, which is the catalyst for much of why Paul is writing the book of Galatians. And we'll get into that the farther into the book we get. That, that, that parts of the church were becoming more afraid of kind of the religious elite that they were kind of cowering, and and kind of caving to the demands of meeting some of these religious standards that have crept into the church so trying to trying to make the people that seem super religious happy and be accepted by them be on the inside the in club of the spiritual people of the day we can fall into a, a weaker gospel by just desiring people's comfort over true gospel change And by saying that, I kind of mean like we can be worried about hurting feelings or making things uncomfortable or awkward. And so instead, we kind of tiptoe around some of the hard parts or the parts that might make somebody uncomfortable in the hopes that eventually maybe some of the things that you really need to point out to them that Scripture would call them to account for. We're like, "Uh, I I like them liking me and I'm afraid they're not going to like me if I push too hard on this part of the gospel. But in the end we're not giving them the gospel because the gospel calls us to a standard that that we can't attain and we're going to talk about that but but the standard is perfection the standard is Jesus and we need to realize that we are not him that we are not God we cannot become holy on our own but to have that conversation leads to some discomfort some hurt feelings lots of emotion And it's so important that we not weaken our gospel for the sake of only maintaining people's feelings now i'm not trying to say we should just be mean to people don't hear that i'm not trying to say i that my goal every time i have a gospel-centered conversation is to leave somebody crying and feeling awful that's sometimes the point not usually but that's not what we're being called to but at the same time we have to we have to make sure why is it that i'm speaking in the way that i am. Am I holding back just because I'm afraid that I'm going to lose them as a person? If I say this thing that's too hard, are they going to leave the church? Are they going to leave my community group? Are they going to stop being friends with me? If that goes above the gospel, then we're not really following after the true heart of the gospel because we aren't desiring their heart change more than anything else. This third one kind of goes along with the second. We can find ourselves following a weaker gospel by softening on doctrine to be accepted by the post-Christian society in which we live. There are many who call on the church all the time to let go of some of these kind of antiquated doctrines that, that, that society has moved beyond. And they say, this isn't, this isn't the sort of thing that... The ch- Can't you see we've evolved beyond the idea of of heterosexual marriage we have moved beyond the idea of, of sex being for inside of a married relationship haven't you see that we've we've moved beyond insert thing here society we we, we understand now that those kinds of con, those things are just constructs that the church has created to kind of dominate and 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 and, and enforce power over people We should just discard those things. And many churches seeking to be accepted by, maybe they don't even agree, but they're willing to soften their stance. They're willing to soften their language. They're willing to let go of enforcing parts of Scripture for the sake of being more welcome, appearing more welcoming. Here's the thing. We should be welcoming as the church to any who would come to us but any who would come to us are just as much a sinner as we once were before we were saved. And the standard is still Christ, even for them. And, and to soften just to be accepted in society can be crippling to the church. I mean, we talked about it with, when, when Constantine became the emperor and he got saved, and he said, all right, everybody's Christian now. And immediately the church began to lose sight because they didn't have to to fight to hold on to the truth as presented in this book anymore. It was just kind of do church however you want. And it kind of became a little bit the Wild West of doctrine until things got really out of hand. And then for like 1,400 years, the church wandered and floundered until we started getting back on course in the 1500s. One last one. And this, one's, this, one, this one is really a struggle for me sometimes. Creating an environment that worships the environment over God. This is such a struggle for me because I love doing the things that we do well, which is why if you got here before church today, you saw me being very grumpy because we really want to get the sound to work really well on the live stream. And for so, like last week, it was like, the video worked and the sound didn't work. Then by worship night, the sound worked, but the video didn't work. And then this morning I booted it up and the video worked, so I hooked the sound up and then the sound didn't work. And and those sorts of things absolutely eat away at me. Full confession. I'll be I'm I'm in a much better mood now, and I will be in a much better mood after church if you want to chat afterwards. I only banged at the desk once this morning. I didn't break anything, I promise. But but in trying to present ourselves with excellence, which I think, in a sense, I think there is some value to trying to say, we want to do the best that we can. I mean, in all you do, work with all your heart as if you're working for God. Like, I think that we can worship God through the way that we do the things that we do. But, but it, the temptation is, and what can happen is, we begin to worship the in, worship environment. We worship the, or even the liturgy that we practice, liturgy being like the way we do the church. The way we, like, we worship, oh, well, we do these this, the songs this way, and we pray at this time, and we worship. We, we can start to worship our processes and the way that we do things more than the God that we're actually supposed to be worshiping during that time. And that, I mean, even at a church our size, that can still become a temptation. It's even more temptation if you're, I'm not trying to, like, blame bigger churches, so... Whichever bigger churches hear this, and want to get mad. Now, I'm, not, I'm not mad. I'm just saying, like, it's such a temptation. The bigger your infrastructure, the bigger your budget it is, to all of a sudden really start to lose sight of what's the goal and instead begin to chase after other things and prioritize your environment over the message that we've been given. All for the sake of trying to win the approval of other people. We're going to try to have this really awesome rock star environment so people will want to come. And Paul's saying, if your goal is just to make people like you, you've lost sight of the gospel. Which leads to kind of the third big point that I want to make is that those who are driven by human approval are not servants of Christ. And that's what he says again, right at the end of verse 10. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That is a major warning. If we are taken away by false gospels, we are no longer following Christ. And if this persists, Paul seems to imply that we never really were following Christ. If the gospel that's alive in you isn't really the gospel, then you're not a follower of Christ. And this is why it was so urgent for us to realize that that if we're not all in on this gospel as presented to us through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit, if if we're not following this as given to us, we may not be in at all. If you're not all in on this, you may be out. And that's a terrifying thought. And that's why it was so urgent for the reformers 500 years ago to call the church to account to call the church back to this gospel to say we've added so much on top. We don't need to add anything to it. We don't we don't need last rites. We don't need we don't need confessionals. We don't need we don't need any of these things. None of that's in here. All that we need is Jesus. It's the same thing it's the same thing Paul was saying. I'm here not because I did anything but because of Jesus, Luther saw that the church had allowed itself to stray so far away from the heart of the gospel that they weren't really chasing after the gospel at all. It's like there comes a point where it's like, we're running toward this, but if you just kind of keep turning a little bit along the way, eventually you're walking 180 degrees away from where you thought you were. And you're just taking yourself farther and farther into sin. So, as we go through this book, my hope is that we as the church will examine ourselves, what it is that we're chasing after, and the message that we're delivering. And we'll ask ourselves, are we adding things on top, or is the simplicity of the gospel enough? I hope that it's going to teach us to guard ourselves against the like false teaching or or, or just misrepresentations of portions of the gospel that intentionally or unintentionally pull our hearts away from the truth of God's word. Because we still fall into this in 2020. I'm hoping that by the end we realize it's not the gospel plus religious traditions or spiritual practices and processes, liturgy in the church. It's not, it's not the gospel plus conservatism. It's not the gospel plus liberalism. It's not the gospel plus activism. The gospel stands on its own. And the answer to all the challenges... What it, am going to say? What am I going to say? It's not the gospel plus... Whatever social cause, like it's not, you're not in until you also are a part of this cause or a part of this movement or a part of this thing. Once we add that on top, we're not talking gospel anymore. We're talking gospel plus. The gospel has all the answers for every single one of those things on its own. You want to talk about social justice? The gospel leads to justice. The gospel itself can take care of all the justice you need. The gospel reveals the heart of God. The gospel reveals the heart of God in the way that he created everything in perfection and designed us in perfection. And gave us all equal value and worth and dignity and importance. All of that. All of that is answered in this book. And we don't need other things on top of this message to affect change in this world. And that's why I think Paul is so fired up at the beginning of this book. And that's why I think Luther was so fired up 500 years ago. And it's why I'm so fired up to get into this book with you guys. Because I so want us... To be excited about the simplicity (laughs) even as complex as this book is even as hard to understand as some of the concepts of salvation like when we talk justification by faith in the next few months and you're like "But how does that work and I'll be like it's really hard to understand a lot of these things I just want you to this is enough this message is enough the God who gave it to us is enough and we don't need To understand more than just what he has revealed of himself to us. Let's pray. God, I'm so excited about the potential for what you could be ready to teach us through this book, and God, I just pray that you would continue to work at our hearts throughout the week, um, that you would be molding us and shaping us and preparing us for whatever it is that you're going to change in us. But even now, I pray that you would be at work, revealing maybe where some of the, the temptation to seek the approval of man over you or or the ways that we kind of are tempted to modify the gospel to benefit ourselves or, or maybe areas where we've wandered off from the heart of the truth to begin with and so God I just pray that you would be at work by the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives now to, to call us back to the central point of this book, your word, and God, that you would just fill us with a greater desire to know your word, be shaped by your word, pursue your word. And God, I just pray that by the power of your by the power of your work your finished work the work that Jesus has already done that you would you would call us to repentance even now God for those here who may not know you that you would open their eyes to see their need for you that, that the work has already been accomplished and, and even if we don't understand all of the ins and outs of how that that is playing out why that works the way that it does God I just pray that you would Fill us all with a desire to pursue you with everything that we have, our whole heart. God, help us just to see the beauty of who you are and what you accomplished by by allowing your son to be, be, be murdered on the cross for us, knowing that you would raise him back up, defeating sin and death. And God, I pray that we would have ears to hear this truth and a heart with new desires to chase after you. God, I'm so thankful for the truth of your gospel and your son, Jesus, who makes it possible for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.